Welcome to the Aerospace Executive Podcast, featuring in-depth conversations with executives, leaders, influencers, and journalists in this dynamic, high-stakes industry. Hosted by Craig Pickett, founder of Northstar Group, the boutique executive search firm for the aerospace industry. You'll learn how top aerospace executives are developing their people, competing for talent, overcoming challenges, and adjusting to industry trends to drive growth and profits. And now, let's join your host, Craig Pickett. Welcome to the Aerospace Executive Podcast. Today, we're here with uh, Renee Bangelsdorf, CEO and co-owner of Charlie Bravo Aviation, one of the more successful aircraft brokerages in the industry. And Renee is uh, one of the more positive people I've had the privilege of knowing in the industry in the 20 plus years I've been in it. So hello, Renee. Well, hello, Craig. That's a rave review. I like hearing that I come across as positive. Um, you know, some days this job's tough and some days it's a lot of fun. So um, I, I'm glad I give that impression most days. Well, I think it's like everything. If it was easy, everybody would be doing it, right? Absolutely. I think you're absolutely right. So all good. So indeed, you are. You and I have met at you know many uh many of the conferences and industry events, and you're like one of the more positive people in the room. And uh, there's some energy there. What uh, what drives that success? You know, I think it's a couple of things. First is that I really do enjoy my job, and more than my job, I enjoy the people that I work with, whether they're other people in the industry or they're world changers who are moving around in private jets. It's just a really interesting business. And then the second thing, of course, is that I live in Texas, the greatest state in the world. Texas is a good place to be, as I, I grew up there, so um, I miss it. It is a uh, Austin's a happening place too. It is. I absolutely love it here. Tons of they, fun. Yeah. Did you grow up in Austin? I did not. I grew up in Birmingham, Alabama, and Columbus, Ohio. Oh wow! How'd you get to Texas? Well, a strange quirk of fate, uh, divine intervention, I'm not sure what to call it, but uh, my husband Kurt and I moved here 16 years ago to start a career in buying and selling private aviation. We worked with Gantt Aviation for a time and then started Charlie Bravo 10 years ago. Sure, yeah. No, so you, we, you started Charlie Bravo Aviation in 2008, and you think about the dark days of the industry and the economy, and the Great Recession, and that's when I started my, my business as well. What uh, do you think about that timing? Well, I think when you're born at, at the bottom, there's no place to go but up. Um, it definitely made us choose to do some things differently. I mean, who knew in February of 2008 that the bottom was going to fall out of our industry? I mean, maybe we could have known that it was going to have a downturn, but nothing like what we experienced. But like I said, when you start at the bottom of a slump or you make it through the bottom of a slump and you start to move up, you've made strategic decisions along the way um, to diversify a little bit, to um, be strategic and intentional about the things that you do, and to use some techniques perhaps that you wouldn't have used if things were easy. Yeah, no, I mean, I've been, let me see, I came into business aviation in 1995, my first job with Gulfstream when I got out of the Navy. And, you know, through the years, you see a lot of people that have come in or they're coming in at a market peak and it's easy. 
Um, you know, and they're, they're, you know, part of the term, they're born on third base. They think they hit a triple. They're the greatest salespeople in the world. And then all of a sudden the, the, the market falls, the market slumps and they're lost. So there's really something to be said about starting at the bottom and trying to figure things out. And if you're successful there, you, 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 know, you rise to the occasion when, uh, when the market starts to turn for you. I agree. I would have to say I don't recommend it, but I wouldn't trade that experience for anything. Sure, some trying. I'm sure some some uh, some fingernail biting and trying times. How's business now? Business is great. I think tax reform has been a big boon to us as far as the U.S. market goes, and then um, the global economy seems to be doing fairly well, and planes are moving all over the world right now. I I think that we're seeing. A recovery for the first time in 10 years. How are prices holding up? Prices are increasing. We're starting to see sellers hold firm on their price and get their price. Um, there still are some bargains to be had out there, but they're much fewer and farther between than they were before. And really what we're seeing is that Good aircraft with good pedigree and some of the options that people really want on an airplane are being snapped up very quickly. So if you know you want a Falcon 7X or a G650, you better have money in escrow and be able to make an offer within a day of your broker finding that airplane for you or you might not get it. Really, has the market turned... The market's turned that much. It has for really strong pedigree aircraft. So I was speaking with a couple of other brokers last week, and we were talking about the Falcon 7X market, and um, we were talking about if it's something that has an ideal pedigree, then you know it's going to go quickly. So we may have to look to other regions that we wouldn't have been shopping in six months ago to find an aircraft that meets our client's requirement. So the days of finding a pro, you know, I knew a, a lot of brokers. I've been talking to a lot of people, and they're saying, hey, look, we're, we're good with project airplanes. You know, it might be a, be a go buy a cheap $3 million airplane, $4 million airplane, fly it till it dies, and then just throw it away and go do it all over again. It sounds like those days are kind of gone. Well, I think if you're talking about a $3 million aircraft, those days aren't gone, but if you're talking about a $15 million aircraft, um, you're taking on a project to get it where you want it to be. Okay. So there's not necessarily, uh, there's not a good choice of turnkey, great cosmetics, great pedigree, killer price aircraft out there now. Interesting. Yeah, no, the market is turning, and the uh, the economy is turning, the market's turning, tax reform, like you said, I think the international markets are opening back up, from what I hear, and, right. um, you know, so hopefully, you know, hopefully we have a good bow wave, you know, bow wave ahead of us. I hope so, and my genuine hope is that it really drives new aircraft sales, because that's what drives technology upgrades in our in our cabins, and I think that that's really important as well. When the demand swings from just pre-owned to really into um, new aircraft with the OEMs, we start to see some innovation, which has been probably a little slower in the last few years 
than it was before because I think that R&D budgets probably got cut. Mm-hmm. Who's innovating right now? Who's got the most, you know, who's doing it right right now? Oh, gosh. That's like asking me which is my favorite kid. <laughs> um, I'm I like to look a little bit farther in the future than just what we're dealing with right now. And there are two companies that I know are making a lot of strides in the, um, in the personal, um, jet business, I guess, if you want to call it that, that, or the VTOL business. So I think that, um, Embraer and Textron are developing pretty heavily in the passenger drone space at least exploring that space and seeing what technology they would need to be a player in that field. And I think that's really exciting. You know, I just have this vision of being on a George Jetson mobile um, five or six years from now, um, kind of laughing down at the people who are still stuck in traffic on the highways. And, you know, I don't know if that's going to be a reality or not, but a girl can dream, right? Uh, you know, no, that's yeah. That's the one question I've been asking: is what's next? You know, yeah, you know, we've got you know G five hundreds and G six hundreds coming out now. Phenomenal airplanes, global seven thousands, phenomenal airplanes. You know, they're traveling across the world at Mach nine zero. Um, big cabins. You know, you know, Textron's making some great stuff. Embraer is too. Um, Dassault is making good stuff. But the question com- comes to me, and my question was: is yeah, you know, the person that just wants to fly from the New York heliport to downtown Washington, D.C. Is that the next generation of BizF? I really think so. And the reason that I think that is because, yes, there's supersonic airplanes being developed. And that's really exciting. But those aircraft are sold to a very, very minute market. When we broaden the base and make business aviation available to more and more and more people, I think that we'll see a much greater adoption and we'll really see our industry flourishing again. And I think one one model that we can look to, and of course he's been an innovator his whole career, is the one that Kenny Dichter set up with Wheels Up. And what he's doing and what the guys at Jet Smarter are doing is opening the eyes of a whole new class of consumers to the benefits of private air travel. And I think that we're seeing a lot more charter travel because of companies like those. That's exciting to me. More people falling in love with the industry that I love is good for all of us. I think so. Everybody talks about the sort of the democratization of business aviation. And Jet Smarter, hey, look, we'll fill up, you know, 10 seats with 10 different people. Um, Kenny Dichter, he's adding a, a lifestyle, you know, component to Wheels Up. It's not just, you know, it's not just uh, we got we got cool airplanes. It's a uh, we got cool airplanes and a and a cool you know lifestyle with you know, neat destinations and introducing people. I think I think that's a brilliant idea. Absolutely. I mean, I'm a marketer by trade a journalist actually but have been in marketing my whole career and I really do like seeing people's new take on things and new spin on things and how their marketing is just a fascinating aspect yeah. of my job well, you know obviously Kenny's the best sales guy in the world I mean I yeah you, you meet him he's you know everybody shows up in a suit and a tie or a, you know a business suit and Kenny shows up in a track suit 
he's the only person in the world that can get away with it, but he does it he does it well. And uh, he's just got that dynamic about him that you know you love watching him work. That's you know that's what I'll say about Kenny today. That's uh, uh, he, he's such a phenomenal executive and marketer um, with a with a great track record. Absolutely, he is. I I definitely admire him and uh, find him entertaining to listen to. So cool. So hey, look, let's. I, I wanted to change. I want to change subjects because one of the things that really, you know, I, I wanted to invite you on, not necessarily just for the what's going on in business aviation, but you've got a lot going on in the community, and you know, with women and STEM programs, and you've got Crushing It Academy and your book out there. Um, so, you know, you wrote a great book on you know, you know, crushing mediocrity. So, you know, and you had some great examples of people who you know had you know, hundred knot headwinds in their face throughout life, and they just crushed it. What have you, you know, what did writing that book teach you? You know, it's amazing. My mentor says that you really don't know how you feel about something until you start writing about it. So he learns how he feels about something by writing a blog about it. Oh, yeah, now I've really thought through how I feel about these things. And that was the process of writing the book for me. You know, it started with my co-authors in the automotive industry, and it started over a bottle of wine discussing the character attributes of women who really are successful and well-adjusted in male-dominated roles. And we started coming up with this list of characteristics about you really have to know who you are. You have to own your choices. You have to stand up for what you believe in. You have to work your ass off, especially if you're a woman, because in order to gain respect of men, you have to prove yourself. You don't just automatically gain it because someone's given you a seat at the table. And so we, we talk about those things in the book, and we talk about them from experience, from having done those things and paid those dues and sought to rise above the status quo instead of taking the easy route. And we've both got some battle scars from that, and, um, but really, you know, like I said at the beginning, it's, it's really worth it to go through the hard times because you come out with a little more shine or a little more determination or hopefully a little more money on the other end of those things. So, you know, I don't think anybody really chooses to be mediocre. You, you sort of fall into that trap. You know, what, uh, what were some of the character, you know, what were some of the characteristics? You said you got some battle scars from, uh, you know, from the, the, the evolution of the book and, 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 and the business. What, uh, you know, what are some of the battle scars? What what makes people rise above me, mediocrity? Do they just make a choice that today, you know, today I'm going to start on a different path? Well, it's a choice every day because if we don't choose not to be mediocre, we are. So it's an everyday choice. It can't. You can't leave a legacy in one day. You leave a legacy by being consistent every day and by figuring out how to get up and put one foot in front of the other every time you get knocked down. So you have a deal fall apart that you've been working on for six months. 
you drag yourself up, you put the file in the filing cabinet, and you move on to the next one, even if you feel like looking for an easier job. I mean, there's days that I definitely want an easier job, and then there are days where I'm like, man, I'm glad I stuck this out. And I think that's what that kind of tenacity and that ability to turn a fear of failure into a determination to win no matter what, that's what makes people rise above the status quo or crush mediocrity or leave a legacy or become well-known in their industry. It's that refusal to quit. Do you see, you know, what do you see, you know, what what do you see in our industry? I mean, is our our are, are people trying to rise above it every day? Do you see the same folks that every day are you know just out there and impress you versus others, or do you you know um, maybe a bad question, but uh, yeah, what do you see in the people that impress you in our industry every day? You know, I'm going to turn your question just a little bit and and steer it back to something that you asked me about earlier, which is my passion for empowering women, and the one thing that I've noticed in our industry is that women will come in, try out our industry, and either move to a different industry or they'll absolutely fall in love with it and persevere. And I see that in women in a lot of different roles in this industry, that they really become enamored with the people in the industry and the work to be done in the industry, whether it's designing technology, um, putting together interiors for aircraft, selling planes, putting together loans or management agreements. There are all sorts of different roles that women take in this industry. And I enjoy watching them flourish once they figure it out and get their feet underneath them. That really makes me feel good. I think that there's an innate desire to mentor. Um, In a lot of people in this industry, I've had male and female mentors and appreciated all of them. Um, And I see a genuine um, hand from other people to help someone out. Once you're in, it's a very friendly and helpful industry, even though it's tough. Yeah. I mean, you know, hey, look, one of the most impressive people, and I talked about this at the uh, Iowa conference Back uh, back in January, one of the most impressive people I ever met in the industry, and, and I can't think of her last name now, but it was her name was Lynn Bedgood. And you just met her, and you're like, "Wow, this lady's sharp." And then you you, you find out she you know, came out of Stanford and ended up going. She left Gulfstream Aircraft and got an MBA at Harvard, and then went on to become the chief marketing officer at, at Salesforce.com, and now sits on the board of. Ford Motor Cars. I mean, she's a you know, and, and uh, you know, relatively young, you know, late forties, maybe early fifties. Um, what do we need to do to attract more more lens, you know, in the in the industry? Well, I think that there are a couple of things that we can do to attract more outstanding women. Um, one is education, and I think that there's been some recent legislation proposed in the House and the Senate that indicates that everyone's recognizing this as a as a problem, that girls and women are not introduced to aviation necessarily, and that's why they haven't 
considered it as a career. But I think what the bigger problem is, is how do we retain women in the industry? And that's the bigger question. Because once we retain them, then we can promote them and move them into leadership positions. But the retention requires a couple of things. One, it requires us to think about the way that we perceive people and the language that we use. So when um, Per Martheson from Avenode has um, great-looking women, very attractive women, in his booth at a trade show, people assume that those are hired models, not his chief financial officer and his top three sales reps. And so we need to change the perception. And Mm -hmm. Pear, for instance, is putting uh, the titles of his employees on their name tags now. So if it's the CFO, it says CFO on her name tag so that people can identify, oh, this is an officer of the company. This isn't someone that was hired from a local modeling agency. And so we need to shift that perceptive that they're, that attractive women are not valuable to the industry necessarily. It's just a misconception. And then we need to change our language. You know, maybe it's not appropriate to call someone little darling anymore, even if you're from Texas. Um, but you need to respect that that person has value. Um, and then the third thing that we need to do is build community. And there are a million books out there about corporate culture. But really, we need to address, is our corporate culture friendly to women? And is there something specific that helps foster community between the women in that particular company. And one company that I know does a really good job with this is Pratt & Whitney Canada. And I've spoken with them a couple of times. They have a couple of events every year that really focus on women's leadership development within their company. And we'll have two or 300 women attend those events and really feel encouraged and uplifted and motivated to go back to their job and make a difference doing whatever it is that they've been hired to do. So I think the more we can be aware of those things and encourage um, community building, open conversations about um, inclusion of people with different backgrounds and different ethnicities and different um, education and different gender and different ability to think, um, we enrich our companies and our industry. Oh, absolutely. I mean, anytime, you, you know, I was having this conversation with, a, I was out in uh, California last week or two weeks ago, last week, having a conversation with a company and, and we were talking about recruiting and um we took, talked about some different arenas and they mentioned one and I won't say which it is. I said, you know, I'm not real fond of them because they tend to hire all engineers. And, you know, if you're not a math, physics or engineering major coming out of college, they won't hire you. And I, I think that they tend to think very linear. Everybody just, you know, everybody's got a very linear thought process. Whereas a competitor of theirs tends to say we want to hire more for aptitude, we want to hire more for intelligence, we want to hire more for, you know, grit or whatever, and they seem to be more creative in their thought. 
And and I think when you when you bring in a diversity of backgrounds, you've got a diversity of thought, which gets everybody to a higher plane. If if, if it's just an industry of of middle aged white guys, uh, excuse my language, um, there you know you 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 get that you get that one thought process, and you can't grow. It's hard to grow. Well, I agree, and I I spoke with Maria Sastre, who's the um, COO, I think is her current title, of Signature Flight Support, and just a fantastic woman who came from a hospitality industry. And we talked about how valuable it is to have women involved in leadership programs. And I think if you look at BBA, which is Signature's parent company, Mm -hmm. and you look at their board and you look at their leadership team, you see quite a few females. And you know, we talked about companies that have women on their board, not a woman, but women on their board and around their, their executive team really have higher profit, lower risk profile, and lower employee turnover than companies with all the same um, other pluses and minuses without women. And so it's really interesting to see just from studying that, and there are a number of entities that have studied that, the positive impact that comes from having a female perspective and really more than one in your decision-making process. Yeah. No, once again, it's a diversity, it's a, it's a diversity of thought. It's a, you know, it's a, it's a different perspective. Um, and, and different perspectives bring more thought processes into you know, into the game. And once again, that's what you know. That's what takes companies to the next you know, to the next level. Um, hey, so you know, going back to you know, going back to your a little bit to your your book. You know, you talk about some people that had a lot of grit. You know, and, and we'll talk about you know some of the education aspects of what you're doing too. But you 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 mentioned people that really had a lot of grit. Like I said, a lot of headwinds in life. Um, you know, what do you, what should companies be hiring for? Should they be hiring for education? Should they be hiring for aptitude or they should, should they just be hiring for a little bit of the person that is willing to get down in the trenches and get dirty and, and fight? You know, I've read a lot of books about that and I've really talked to a lot of different CEOs in a lot of different, um, Industries being part of the Women Presidents Organization. And then, you know, one of my best friends did personnel placement for, for George W. Bush. Hers is one of the stories that you were talking about. She went from welfare to work to doing personnel placement for, for President Bush in the White House, which is pretty amazing. And she talks about hiring for um, really the fit to the company culture and attitude. So if someone is smart, but they're not willing to work hard or sacrifice for your company mission or vision, then really they're going to be a detriment more than they are a benefit to the company. And so she really looks for, when she's recruiting people, and she does that professionally now, she really looks for what's the personality fit with this company. And if the company is looking to shake things up, she brings in somebody who's going to be an innovator. And if the company needs to um, write a ship, you know, she'll bring in somebody who's got a experience with stability and can, can write the ship. 
So I, I really think it goes back to the goal that that role needs to fulfill, especially in an executive placement, which is what you do, and what that person's personality is going to do to the culture of the company. How do you see the next generation? I mean, you know, we're, you know, I'm, I'm you know, at the, the tail end of the, the boomer age. You got the millennials behind us and everybody talks about the most maligned generation is the millennials. And then, you know, you know their, their kids are coming up, you know, fast. Are we all adapting? Well, you know, I, one of the stories in the book is the one of my co-author, Lisa Copeland, who took on the challenge of bringing the Fiat brand to America um, or back to America from Italy. And she decided to take a completely different approach than what kind of mainstream car dealers did. And she put a, um, a retail Fiat store in a very popular shopping mall. I mean, Fiat was in there with Apple and Louis Vuitton. And Tesla does that a lot now, but Lisa was one of the first ones in the U.S. to do it, and she ignited a bunch of millennials who had never sold cars before and made them the number one dealership in the nation quarter after quarter after quarter, and the way that she did that was by giving them something to believe in. And I think that we malign millennials a little bit because they don't have the same work ethic as you and I, but man, if you can get them really believing in something, they will put their heart into it and give you everything that they have. Will they do it long-term? Will that sustain when they're in their 40s? I don't know. But right now, they want something to believe in. They want to know the why. And, you know, Simon Sinek hits on that in in his TED Talk and his book, Start With Why. They really resonate with that do you know do we do we under yeah that's that's i've heard that from some other people they want a sense of purpose right do we give them are we giving them that sense of purpose in you know, when you think of you know private aviation or just aerospace in general do we do we do we do we define that purpose for the next generation or are we doing that well Let's look. If if you and I go to a trade show today, what do you think the average age is of the person who's there? Um, I don't even want to tell. I don't even want to say. But it's uh, my guess is probably mid mid upper fifties. That's not the millennial generation. So yeah. I think the answer is no. We're not doing that. How do we change it? Well, I think each one of us has to decide to do that. And some of that requires some soul searching. You know, what is, what is my company vision or what is my company mission? And is it something that people can get excited about? Yeah. I mean, that's, that, that's a little bit of what, you know, that's, that's a little bit of what I've been scratching my head on when I, when I, when I think about the, the, you know, the, the, the next generation of aircraft owner or user. And we talked a little bit about this. It, I think this conversation came up at Corporate Jet Investor. A while back, and you think about you know Mark Zuckerberg and you know his you know they're the next generation of private jet users. They're smart, they're tech savvy, they want to do it all from an app. How do you get them excited, and how do you get how do you drive that industry that gets a Zuckerberg excited? Well, I think we go back to something that we talked about a little bit earlier on the 
on this podcast, which is innovation. And we were talking about the George Jetson cars or the passenger drones or whatever it is. That's a disruptor. And that is what gains the attention of millennials. If you look at the adopters of Facebook and Uber and Airbnb and iPhones, a lot of that was the millennial generation jumping on and adopting disruptors early on. And so if we can introduce a disruptor, not just an innovation, but a disruptor into our industry, I think we'll attract droves of younger people. So it's exciting. Yeah, no, I think you're. I think you're right. It's interesting, you know. So the the guys I met, I went and visited in uh, California was Icon Aircraft, uh-huh. and you know they had a mission, and and their mission is they're making this amphibian LSA light support aircraft the coolest the coolest thing since sliced bread, and their whole brand is driven around that, and the whole you know, you you go into the company and it's. Everybody's in jeans and T-shirts and Icon you know, polo shirts, and, and they're really um, – I think Kirk is doing a great job with his company on, you know, on, on making his culture fit the brand that is you know, going to fit the, the customer of the airplane. Where the ultimate market for that is, um, you know, is up to you – know, they've got some challenges ahead of them, but I think at the end of the day, they've done a good job making it a real exciting place and a real exciting product. I don't know if you've, how much you've seen of it, but it's... Uh, I've seen a little bit of it. It is really exciting. And I think they're in the right place to introduce that kind of, of innovation. Yeah, I, I, I agree. They're in a good location for that. Yeah, they're getting a lot out of Silicon. No, you know, California's got its challenges now, but they're getting some people out of Silicon Valley. They've, they've hired some phenomenal people um, to drive what is a really cool product and culture. I mean, I was, I, I was out there. I was just, yeah, there was nobody in their organization that was unimpressive. And, um, you know, you, you can see them all, they've, they've all embraced it, which is, which is neat. And, and, and that's what you want to see in every company, somebody that's really embracing that, you know, that whole culture. So, um, so what about STEM? You, you talked about, I know you're big in, I know you're big in STEM and education. um, and you know, my daughter's getting ready to be a high school senior. She's taking a lot of math, science you know, classes, wants to go into the medical field. Um, are we making STEM exciting for our daughters? I think we're doing a good job of making STEM exciting for our daughters. I think that we're still experiencing some discrimination and some disheartening things in um, in colleges and some of the other programs. In what way? You know, I as I speak to engineering students at colleges sometimes, I get a lot of girls that say, wow, I really feel isolated or I feel kind of lonely or I feel discriminated against or I feel like I'm fighting an uphill battle. And I think that as parents, we need to be able to change that. Encourage. Yeah. I think we. I think we can encourage people and and really change um, change where that's going. How Sorry, much? It does, wasn't a fabulous answer, but. Well, no. I mean, how much do you know? Do, you know, we we talk about in our country. You know, the the engineering. You know, everybody's going outside for. Uh, 
you know, is our education system geared? Are we prepared for the, the onslaught of new technology that's, that's about ready to hit us? Coming, can our high schools and colleges teach it at the pace that we need it taught? You know, that's a, that's a million dollar question or a billion dollar question, probably. Um, I don't think so. Um, and I think that, that it's a, may become an epidemic. I mean, we've seen the U.S. slip down the charts in, um, in technology, in math, in science when compared to other countries. And in the end, that's going to bite us in being the most innovative country in the world. Yeah, I mean, you see, I mean, you know, it's every, the, the you know, Apple and a lot of people have already said, hey, we need more H-1B you know, visas to come in. And it's, you know, we've got so many intelligent kids. I mean, literally, I I, 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 I talk to the high school kids. I see a lot. we got the University of North Carolina, Wilmington right next to me. And they're they're monumentally impressive. I mean, you you really see these kids and they're like, wow, it's a lot of energy. They're They're here for a purpose. What do we need to do to get them in the right, move it in, you know, what do we need to do to get them into the into the mix and like you say i think that really is a the million dollar the million dollar question yeah where do you see business aviation heading you know i see business aviation heading into a great place um into a little bit more mainstream and like i said i'm really excited to see what kind of disruptor we can come up with in the next five to ten years i think it's going to be an exciting time and space um and an interesting world Good stuff. I, I see blue skies ahead as well. So good. Go sell an airplane today. Great. Thank you so much. I'm going to try. 